Hello and welcome to the Veer Vulnerabilis Veer podcast. I'm Adam Glinsky. And I'm Albert Imperato. Where we help men communicate and build empathy. Season two of the Veer Vulnerabilis Veer podcast is sponsored by our good friends at Standard and Strange, where the clothes and the people are anything but ordinary, and the motto is own fewer, better things. How you doing today, Albert? It's a beautiful day outside. We're uh, still chilling. Same, same kind of thing. You're still up in the, the Hudson Valley. COVID's still a thing. But yeah, man, how's it been? Season one's wrapped up. Here we go. It is, season it two. It is wrapped up and we haven't fully gotten our minds around season two. Maybe part That's of very season, true. <laughs> maybe part of season two is realizing we can't really get our minds around a lot of things in this world, mm-hmm. uh, but we're going to still enjoy the ride. Um Anyway, yeah, I'm pretty. I'm pretty psyched. It's been. Uh, it's it's a it's a really great time to be up in the Hudson Valley. By the time this airs, uh, summer will be waning for those who hate it. I can't stand people who knock summer because I love I love the summer so much and start getting a little melancholic when the cooler weather comes in. But you know, everybody's got their their tastes, and uh, some people just hate the hot weather. You can't wear your heavy denim in the hot weather, man. Like, <laughs> I would say I I hate summer, but um, I enjoy the cooler weather because I get to wear more denim. But that's just me. <laughs> Summer's I, great. I, I'm um, excited for the fall too. The the leaves will go, start changing. It'll 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 be beautiful too. Mm-hmm. That's my favorite season. I love um, you know where I'm from in the Appalachian Mountains or hills, if you want to really call it, and. Uh, you know, you just see all those uh, rolling hills of Pennsylvania in all the different colors, and that to me is just pure beauty, and that's that's well, great. So well, I can't wait guest- to see some of that in a in a world right now that's not so beautiful. Well, our guest our guest today actually talking about the mountains and the and Appalachia. <laughs> uh, our guest today actually grew up in the in the mountains of Western North Carolina. We're gonna really have a special treat today to have you know we ha- we have a soft spot both of us, Adam. Uh, both of us have a soft spot for musicians. Oh yeah, uh, you know we make music, we promote music. It's a big part of our lives, and uh, we're going to be talking to a to a country blues singer today. Boo Ray is a Southern troubadour who has forged and honed his sound in South Georgia honky tonks, Gulf Coast jukes, Nashville nightclubs, and Los Angeles songwriter joints. Hailing from the mountains of Western North Carolina, and now spending equal parts time in Nashville. Los Angeles, and Athens, Georgia. Bouray has released five commercial albums including Bad News Travels Fast, Six Weeks in a Motel, and Sea of Lights. Rolling Stone Magazine called Boo's song 20 Questions, a song you need to know, which featured on his latest album, Tennessee Alabama Fireworks. Rolling Stone senior editor Joseph Hudak wrote, the rascally charm of nomadic country blues singer Boo Ray is on full display in the rollicking 20 Questions, the standout track of his latest album, Tennessee Alabama Fireworks. A strutting blast of Muscle Shoals R&B, the song teems with bright horns and slinky organ as Boo Ray tries in vain to fend off the incessant grilling by his rightfully suspicious and pissed off lover. Hey Boo, it is a pleasure to have you on the show. Welcome. Thanks for coming on today. How are you? Howdy, Adam. Great. Thanks a ton, man. Thanks a ton for having us, uh, having me. Uh, uh, what a blast. Yeah, um, our Tim introduced you to us, and um, we couldn't be more stoked to, to have you on. I know you got a great story. You and Albert have been talking about it, but tell us a little bit about yourself and, and what you've been up to lately. 
Sure. Um, I, I'm a full-time singer, songwriter, entertainer. And um, I, I've been, I got through COVID. Uh, you know, I'm getting <laughs> through, getting through COVID. Uh, um, and uh, trying to, you know, stay whole and, and, and figure out how we're going to come out the other side of this thing. Uh, like just, just in the pre-show uh, talking with Albert, it's like, I think we kind of got it pared down to, you know, fairly small segments of time that, that we focus on just making the present moment as, as positive and, and uh, good as we can. Well, Adam, I, I do want to just give a little context for how Boo and I, how our paths crossed. Because um, you mentioned Tim, we, you're talking about Tim Sorensen, who is a guest on our show and is definitely one, one of the most uh, supportive people uh, for the show. He loves it. And he's, he's really always supported everything that we do on the show. He sent me this, uh, actually, he just uh, tagged me in a comment on Boo's Instagram page on July 13th. Um, and the comment just resonated so much with Tim um, and, and what uh, Boo posted that day. And, and the, the, t the post is kind of raw. It's really full of the kind of uh, expression of, of honesty and um, that's so vulnerable. Um, and the minute I finished reading it, I had started already to write to Boo directly and say, we, you, we would love to have you on the show because this, I just absolutely loved what he wrote. It was very powerful. Um, you know, he talks about his heart being heavy uh, and was hurting for the pain of his fellows, in particularly talking about COVID, the isolation that people are feeling, the people who are suffering through the disease itself, remembering them because those people are forget being kind of forgotten in a certain way. We're getting swept up into other things and forgetting the actual suffering, which is a, a terrible thing. But, but Boo kind of carries it further and says in this post that he's, he's a little worried that we're not really helping each other, that we're talking past each other, that we're being, we're, we're escalating things. We're not listening. We're bringing as he calls it, a drunken pool of trauma and drama into things that don't need them. And we're not being, we're not being very helpful to each other. And towards the end of the post, he talks about just basically declaring that he's going to be a, he's going to be a force for, for positivity, that he's going to still focus on positivity. Uh, at the end, he says, we never outgrow the basics. You know, there's beauty in the practice of good communication. Uh, there's clarity in a sober mind and there's hope in the present moment i choose to see the light right now so that seemed very uh very uh, uh resonant with what we talk about week to week on the show absolutely so, so so you were with some friends something happened that triggered this post is uh is, is there a memory attached to this post or is this kind of where you're at more in general and yeah that was a general accumulation albert uh you know the the the, the communicate bad uh, communication breakdowns and miscommunications that I'm seeing are uh, many. And, um, you know, uh, at the same time that I'm, I, I, it sounds as, as if I could be criticizing other people's handling of, of the world and situations. Uh, I, I'm real fortunate and grateful to have some great communication with lovely people that I am uh, proud and, and honored to have in my life, uh, including talking with you guys today um, about such uh, important and uh, 
important and untalked about subject matter, you know? Um, yeah. Well, just not to throw you into the deep end of the place. Please, that, please. that, 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 uh, quote from your from your instagram feed is kind of the deep end of the pool but let's 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 go back actually and just set it set it up a little bit and introduce you to to our listeners you grew up uh you grew up you said in the woods in the mountains in west uh in western north carolina um tell us you tell us about that well i mean I did. We, we, of course, we had a house, you know, and 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 uh, we we uh, my my dad built houses, and my mom had a restaurant, um, and but but it's real small up there, and uh, yeah, it's like fifty five hundred feet above sea level, um, and uh, it, you know, it's the it's the that corner of North Georgia, uh, South Carolina, and North Carolina, right there where those three states come together. Um, it was is the headwaters of the Chattooga River, uh, which is where Alan Lomax uh, uh, recorded the um, Cashers Valley Shape Singers, and where the movie uh, Deliverance was shot. Um, that part of Appalachia, and so it's this little bitty place. And as kids, man, you know, I was unregulated and untethered. I was allowed to run out the front door in the morning at 7.30 and be gone until the sun went down at 7.30. The exact opposite of where we're at right now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> COVID. Every, I, and my heart really goes out to these kids uh, who, you know, maybe the kids out in the country maybe are actually the ones who are benefiting, who are in the best situation where nature is the closest and they can find refuge there. So, so would you say you spent a lot of, a lot of time kind of on your own? A bunch. Yeah, it was, it was, it was a bunch of was solitary, uh, you know, up there, we, it wasn't like neighborhoods, you know, you, like running over to my buddy's place was, you know, either a, a either a motorcycle ride through the woods uh, to stay off the highways, but you get through back trails through the woods to a couple of different buddies' houses, or, you know, you have to have an adult uh, take you over there, you know? Yeah, I definitely uh, feel that. Um, grew up, I mean, yours sounds a, a little bit smaller than my little town that I grew up in, but... Yeah, man, the uh, the back trails through the woods. Um, I know those well. Of just, you know, okay, hey, let's uh, trek trek up through this hill. You know, I got to go down this path, and then uh, you know, make a right here, and then walk up a couple blocks, and I'm finally at my friend's house. And you know, I I know I found a little bit of tranquility and a little bit of, you know, just enjoyment of just being in the woods alone. I think there is a a special kind of uniqueness that a lot of people in the city don't don't get because um, I mean anything can really happen there it's like you know like the deep sea or like you know or in space it's just like the, the woods is like its own environment you know and, and you could see you could see a bear you could see a deer you could see a turkey whatever you want you know like it it's all living out there and it's all it's kind of own little special place you said it that you know you you traveled in the backwoods did you find like did you have like your little area because i know for me up top there was um you know probably like a couple generations ago there was uh you know just three logs put up in uh, a little spot and it used to be called little round top um and then it kind of got there but it seemed like back in the day that was where you know after school um, the high schoolers went, you know, probably smoked some cigarettes and drank some beer. And then, you know, my generation kind of just found it and had it. But we had this little spot and it was ours and, and we loved it. What, did you have one of those? 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and we all, we all, we all, I built, I had a couple of periods of time where I built forts. We dug holes with a shovel down in the ground and then covered mm -hmm. them up, covered up the top of them with roof with plywood with, uh, um, with, uh, you know, four by eight sheets of plywood. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so we had this, which means that you could span a, a length. So the room could be eight feet wide, essentially, you know, or just under mm -hmm. eight feet wide. And then you span a, a, a four foot, but four by eight piece of plywood across that. And, and, um, so, yeah, but, but, and, and then there's this, there's this Southern thing too. I think the drive by trucker, you guys drive by truckers fans, you know about them drive by truckers. I've heard of them. Yeah. Pat Patterson hood, the right, the singer songwriter, uh, the lead, the, from the front man of that band, his dad is David hood from the muscle Shoals swampers band. And, um, he's an Alabama boy, but he talks in, in some of his, uh, gothic southern gothic folklore writing uh he talks there's this expression about like uh just drinking drinking by the tree like you know like the tree <laughs> the tree is a location with enough gravity and 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 legitimacy to just you know that's that's where you go to drink yeah yeah all right <laughs> oh, yeah so, so did you go did you go to um like a public school? Was there like a little school that you had to go travel to? I I, I carpooled 25 miles down, uh, you know, as, as the crow flies, it's really only about 12 minutes away or, you know, but uh, but with these switchback roads and this uh, dropping down a thousand feet to 4,000 feet or something like that, it's, uh, you know, it's 35 minute car ride, 25 minute car ride. And um, so, yeah, I carpooled down to Camp Lab in Cullowee, North Carolina every day. So, so tell us. Obviously, one of one of the big major events of your early teens is you discover the guitar. Yeah. Um, you said you'd basically dis when you did when we talked the other day. You said that you basically disappeared for a year. Yeah, uh, a full song. I, I, I just, I, that's that's true. I, 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 real specifically, I disappeared for a summer. You know, for like three or four months, I literally disappeared. Just I was in the room, sitting cross-legged on the floor with a guitar in my hands uh, for for three or four months, um, and I just locked myself in the room until. I, and I, and I, when I came out of the room, I could play. You know, I, I I could play guitar. What what planted the seed though? What made you say, "Oh, I, I'm going to pick up a guitar now"? Oh, what planted the seed? You know, there's a couple songs. Uh, um, Carlos Santana's Europa and uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan's uh, Riviera Paradise and Stevie Ray Vaughan's Lenny um, are a couple songs. To, and also about the same time, I heard Tony Rice. Um, I, I heard an album that Tony Rice did with, uh, it's a guitar duet album, a guitar duo album called... Uh, uh, well, it, it was John Carlini is who it is. And, um, and they do stuff like bring on the clowns and just fantastic. It's real, it's real kind of like, it's a little bit of a psychedelic, uh, acoustic, you know, high level acoustic flat picking record. Um, so anyways, those, those, those three records and, and in Dire Straits too, I think Dire Straits were early on, you know, and then not long after that, the next incarnation against, uh, after my initial like okay here's the center of the guitar universe for or, or at least the first place that i heard the voice of the universe speak out through guitar playing um you know it's kind of those three places uh steve ray Vaughan, carlos santana and then in this acoustic world of uh tony rice which bled out into um you know gordon lightfoot uh jim croce um john denver uh paul simon 
Um, but uh, Drop, dropping and, some iconic names right there. That's yeah, for, sure. for real. <laughs> uh, well, well and, and then shortly after that, I discovered so because so where, where I was at up in West North Carolina, there there was only two radio stations. So there, it was about three uh, on a good night. We could pick up three three t- television stations. Uh, we all we had two radio stations we could pick up. We had rock station uh, rock one hundred and one, I think, um, and, uh, and or no, it was rock ninety nine X out of Atlanta. That's what it was ninety nine X out of Atlanta. And then we had a country station out of Greenville, South Carolina, called Whistle one hundred, and they played the hell out of Dwight Yoakam, and uh, um, and so that was a big one. That was the first time I. That's where I caught on to uh, music and style and. You know, fashion, if you want to call it. Um, that's that's first time I that's first time I connected those two dots. And were you, were you dreaming already of uh, hey, one day I want to be a, a, a musician? I'm that's 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 my my life Hell already. Yeah. Already having that dream. Hell and, yeah! I, I saw Smokey in the Bandit, and once I figured out that was a damn guitar player, I was like, Hell, come in! I'm in. I like all that shit. So, were you making music almost entirely on your own with your guitar, or did, were you jamming with friends? Uh, what was both, that? Like? I, both. I was sitting in. I was sitting down with some other guitar players, and there, there was a, there was a group of men who had a, um, there was a group of men who were super fine players, like really fine players, um, and uh, and they met. It, it was just, I, just, I know it sounds, I know it sounds cliche. Literally, Uncle John's cabin. Um, and, and John, my, my buddy, John Warren was a super fine, uh, is a super fine, um, guitar player. And he played Mesa Boogie guitar amps and he played, uh, Stratocasters and, um, he, I, he might even had some weird shit like, old Les Paul Jr. or something like that. Um, but he was playing like super high quality vacuum tube amplifiers and, and he, his tone, the tone gurus that he was always talking about and pointing out to me were uh, Carlos Santana, uh, Billy Gibbons from ZZ Top, you know, Steve Ray Vaughan. Uh, he was a big Billy Gibbons uh, devotee and Mark Knopfler from Dire Straits. And, uh, and then when we, and then, and then he, 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 he was willing to dive into a little bit the world that I was interested in and have commentary he'd kind of get in that world with me and, and be like so he so i'd have somebody to talk about with he'd be like oh yeah pete anderson that's the thing you know you start start pairing pairing guitar players with singer songwriters like so that you know there's there's mike campbell and tom petty right and then there's joe walsh and the eagles and then there's pete anderson and dwight yokum uh so there is this to- there's totally this thing of of a pairing of guitar players and singer songwriters and that i that i began to find myself in that world wow and so i'm sorry go ahead adam yeah so i mean as a guitar player myself um you know just like the this you know the the players and the and the singer songwriters um you know you have a relationship with your own instrument so i gotta ask what was your first guitar and then what was the guitar of guitars? Because I know I have my own, um, but I, I'd like to hear it from you. If like, what, what, was, what was, you know, the, the first one? And then what's the one that just, you know, you play it and, and that's you? Sure. Okay. So my first, my, my actual very first guitar was a damn weird ass ovation. <laughs> um, um, and then I had a Strat after that. I had a, I had a pawn shop 
really, really good guitar. I mean, she, you know, like, you know how the story is. Like, mm-hmm. I, I what I'd give to have that damn thing back, right? Um, I, I, I got bad. I was bad for trading guitars for no reason at all. <laughs> a perfectly good guitar that I was crazy about and in love with. And some other, somebody else have a guitar that was cool as hell. Look, and I, shit, I'll trade you. Um, uh, so I went through a, I went through a, many stables of guitars in my first five years you know trading guitars was as much of a part of it as anything you know mm-hmm. and trying amps and pickups and swapping out pickups and all that shit um so my first guitar my very first guitar was this weird uh ovation um acoustic uh that that i got from a friend uh, i think i you know it's very inexpensive um uh, I might have traded him a hundred bucks in a bag of pot or something like that, you know. <laughs> um, and uh, and then and then I, and shortly after that, within I don't know, you know, within six weeks or ninety days, I went out and got a Strat, you know, mm-hmm. um, that I put uh, you know tans on. I put like ten tans mm-hmm. on it. Nice, yeah. I uh, I have a Strat myself, and uh, it's called the Tiger Strat. I love it. Um, when I was working for a guitar center out in Los Angeles. I probably played a thousand straps. I would play every single one that would come in there because I knew the one thing I wanted to walk out with was a good sounding strat. And that's it. You know, I I have bought other guitars since then. One was, uh, you know, it's an Ibanez. It sounded like a big fat Les Paul, but, um, you know, it was, it was a, a Japanese 1988 vintage. I even called the company and I found out when it was manufactured and it was like a couple days after my birthday. So I was like, oh, cool. all right, I got to have it. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, awesome. Um, but yeah, like there is a relationship like with your instrument that, yeah. that you have and, and, you know, you kind of talk to it and the, the way you play your instrument is, I think a little bit, you know, similar to the way you talk with people. Do you find it easier whenever you're playing your guitar to express your emotions or do you find it easier like you know chatting with a a group of friends you know you're down at uncle john's cabin um hanging out and just jamming where where do you find that that top-notch communication both places both places uh and and uh, um both places for sure i mean literally so uh, yeah it's funny i haven't thought about or talked about John's cabin uh, is John Warren is who it was, and there was a uh, there was a, a host of other players and you know a couple drummers, a couple bass players. Um, I, I literally have I, I have not thought or talked about that until just right now with you guys. And like I'm talking about fucking 10, 10, 10, 12 years, and 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 I'm sort of it's striking me. First of all, this guy was a uh, an amazing home builder and uh, craftsman and carpenter and designer and architect. And, I mean, John Warren, he, he was a landscaper by trade and, and there's a very specific style of landscaping up there in West North Carolina. It became this world where basically all of Atlanta and Charleston, you know, big portions of Charleston and, and, and a bunch of people from Louisiana, New Orleans, they all summered up there. And this is a, it became a resort town during my child, during my childhood, this place became a uh, fully developed uh, resort town. Uh, people come up there in it's fall time to watch the leaves, and they come up there in the summertime to get up in the eighty degree temperature. You know, out of the basically out of the south. You know, um, so um, John did the the type of uh, landscaping that he did was very 
um, organic, uh, very organic, natural, agrarian type of landscaping. So the, the, the plant clusters were, um, uh, oh, I don't know, you know, natural looking, a little messy looking. Uh, and, and the paths wandered and, and, you know, the walkways and paths wandered. And I'll tell you what's, what, here's one of the defining aspects of the home building and the architecture and the landscaping is the level of masonry, stone masonry up there. I mean, you just get some guys who can lay rock like, like I mean, shit, they know, so they, I, they, there's not anybody who can lay better rock than these guys. I mean, they're, just, they're the fucking best, you know? Wow, yeah, I tell you, you're making me want to jump in a car and just like drive down and check it yeah, out, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's, totally. you know, it's, it's, it's amazing. You see these, you see these, uh, you see these stone, uh, you see these dry stacked chimneys and shit of these houses that burned down. Like there's a few, like you know, little small clearings where there was a house that burned down, you know, 75 years ago, and the chimney's still standing. Or at least that existed when I, I haven't been up there in a while. But when I was a kid, you know, when I was still up there, that existed up there. And 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 the level of stone masonry up there was like, I mean, and, and I've seen the same thing up up your way, Albert, uh, up the Hudson River Valley. When I got up there and saw the amount of the popula high population of wild turkeys and deer and the, and the foliage, you know, you guys have got laurel, uh, rhododendron. Uh, you know, all the evergreens, all the pines and, and, and that stuff. Uh, it's, it's incredibly, well, it, it's just the top half. You guys are the top half of the same mountain chain. Yeah. And I know that's a really powerful, uh, that's a really powerful thing to realize how we're connected really by nature. Like the closer you are to nature is the closer you are to your connections to other people. Cause that's, that's like a, that's like the ground, the grounding of all of us, uh, which we which we uh, forget at our peril. But I hate to do this, but I want to go back from you've discovered your voice in this guitar at 15. But but a year after this discovery is, is a really hard year in your life. And when you told me this in our in our pre uh, pre talk, um, I was I was really moved by this and kind of shaken by it. You, you told me that you had a series of, uh, of losses, uh, deaths, uh, the year you turned 16, which is a very young age for someone to experience close death uh you lost a father you lost a stepfather a grandfather a cousin um i i, I just yeah. could you go i i don't want you to have sure. to go back no, and no, suffer no, in any fine. way that's but fine. That's not i do have to ask you what what yeah. happened to you what did that do to you yeah, uh, well i think most most mo mostly it sh mostly it shocked me you know shocked the hell out of me i didn't know how to process it um and, um, you know, and, and uh, my family's uh, nice, smart people, too. Um, you know, my, my mom and, 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 and uh, my cousins and uh, my, the, everybody's nice and everybody's smart, forward-thinking people, pretty much the whole family. And even still, looking back, and, and, and I'm just kind of having this perspective right now as you ask the question. Even looking back, um, you know, when you're faced with, uh, with, with big traumatic loss and, and traumatic events, like sometimes stuff goes sideways, man, and, 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 and people don't know what to do and how to handle stuff. Um, so anyways, yeah, that, that year and in, in like in 10 or 11 months time, I lost – my uh my real father who i was not 
close to, but, but, but lost my, my blood father, my stepfather who raised me from the time that I was three to the time I was 16, my mom's dad, my grandfather, who spent a whole bunch of time with me and was a really, uh, really wonderful guy and, and smart and, uh, real forward thinking and humanitarian, super, super great guy. Uh, and, um, and my cousin, Freddie, you mentioned who was an old Vietnam vet and, and he was, a he was a black sheep for sure. Uh, and, and a troubled soul, but he was like kind of a big brother, uh, type of character to me. And, uh, and, and he was cool. He was good natured. And, and, and he was, uh, um, he was eccentric, you know, it was nice to have an eccentric, uh, male in my life too you know uh and then my 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 i had a great uncle i had an uncle who took an interest in me that was a smart uh interesting guy and 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 helped me out as a kid uh and and spent some time with me and helped me educate me and and turn me on to some important things and anyways those guys all five of those guys died the year that i turned 16. And so it was, it was a shock as much as anything, you know, it's a lot to process more than I could process. Yeah. I mean, it would be, it would be painful at any age. There's no amount of wisdom that prepares you for that much loss all at once. I mean, just by law of averages, we tend to lose things in, in different patterns and some people it's spread out and it gives us time to, to learn from, from it and absorb and prepare. But when you get, it's like a tsunami, you got a complete tsunami of loss in that year. So, so it, it looks like you, it really kind of upended your life and you, what happened? You were, were, were obviously suffering and you were in pain, but you also, you, you, it seemed like you, from what you had mentioned to me, uh, in our pre-talk that you began to have some kind of self-destructive behavior. Absolutely. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I instinctively, without even thinking about it, um, uh, I reached, I, I reached for a bottle of liquor just immediately. That's just, I mean, my, my, I, I, beyond the, beyond the initial, beyond the initial, I haven't thought about this in a long time either. I mean, really, I have not even, I have not, I, I told you the story, but I didn't, I didn't actually, when I retell that story, it's just kind of factual. You know what I mean? It's just a matter of regurgitating the factual information. But um, beyond the actual getting the news, you know, of the traumatic event of getting the news uh, and receiving the news and having the discussion with other family members that, that, that we've lost a family member, I think, you know, within a number of hours after getting the news on the first one, my initial instinct was like, okay, we need to pour some liquor on the ground and we need to drink some liquor. You Had know? you seen that kind of behavior to deal with a problem that came up? Or that, was yeah, that I grew, yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I grew up around, you know, I grew up around cowboys and cowboys and, um, and, uh, and men's man, you know, uh, and and yeah, that's you know there was always a bottle of brandy around to 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 to, to celebrate or salute some uh, occasion if if it was called for. And um, I remember at one point I had a job. There was a few there was a few summers where my dad would have people over down to the barn and they'd hang out at night and kind of hang out, have a man's hang at the shop, you know. 
and and one of the one of the sons of uh, or a couple of the sons of the other uh, of a, a couple of the other men that would show up at these things, we get to play and run around the barn and shit, you know, with flashlights and uh, you know flashlights and a and a four wheeler or three wheeler at that time, a three wheeler and a motorcycle and uh, um, and a farm truck. You know, we we had a damn blast. And one of the activities was that we, I, I bartended for the men, you know, I'd go get a fetch them drinks. And I, and I know I learned early on that if I make the drink too strong, uh, they get tired and they want to go home too early. And, uh, and, but then if I don't make the drink strong enough, they pay too much attention to what I'm doing and I get in trouble. But if I could hit, if I could pour just the right amount of liquor in these drinks, they would stay happily entertained and leave me alone to do whatever the hell I wanted to do. Yeah. <laughs> but part of that was uh, you were starting to drink. Like how, how, I mean, you're 16 years old. But yeah. I, I, I turned to, I, upon losing all these men in my life. I, I, I instinctively, I instinctively grabbed a bottle of liquor as, as a solution. And, and that, that was a process of unraveling, uh, unravel a, a destructive process of unraveling that took about ten years. So it was ten years of you drinking, and and what was happening was it progressively getting it wor getting yeah. worse. You got deeper and deeper in uh, into it. Uh, I mean, and did you go back? Did you go back and forth thinking, "Hey, this is really destructive. I have to stop this," or were you just so in it you just kept going? I, well, I kept going. I mean, I kept going past the expiration date for sure. Um, I, I'd say I probably had a a real solid. Uh, a re I probably had a real solid good reason to stop or or alter, or significantly alter at least, and you know by five years in, and I went another five years beyond that. Um, I, you know, for me personally, you know that that's an interesting issue. It's like what is what is problematic drinking and how you know how much and how so that that's an interesting uh subject matter that i've come across recently again too uh and working with working with and talking to some other people it's like well i don't know how many times can you get so drunk you piss yourself that that how many times does that happen before it's a problem and and then like you know how many times a month or a week can you get blackout drunk and have it be okay that, and not a problem you know I, I, and those, so when you, I find looking back and having 2020 vision on it now, um, you know, for me, in my case, those things were indicators right from the get go, you know, like, I mean, one of the first, I'm sure one of the first three, four or five times that I drank liquor that I got blackout drunk, there's no doubt in my mind. And then I repeated that experience, uh, I repeated that experience definitely more often than would be considered normal looking but, back at it. But at that time you're making music and your music's going along and you're writing songs, you're productive and you're doing things like where, where, where's the rest of your life as this side of your life is kind of out of control. Uh, well, so I didn't get my, my, my music didn't get um, actually real productive for another couple of years. I mean, I started experimenting around and I, I had different incarnations of bands and, you know, just, just, you know, I worked, worked and uh, I got to play around different ensembles with different people. 
I finally got my own incarnation of a band going a couple of years later. Uh, and on uh, my first semester of college, um, and down in Cullowee, North Carolina, I returned to Cullowee to go to college. Um, and, uh, I, uh, so, so here's what I'm saying is, I, I had a I had a couple years of productive a few years of productive musical uh, time where I was really stretching and growing and learning, but previous to to locking in and st- getting a band started, I was not real productive. I was drunk. I was drinking. That was the that was the activity that I was really involved in. I, I mean the 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 time that I spent productive in music was I don't know. I stole a couple few hours here and there that were productive. Uh, but it was largely, um, I, I, I spent a lot of time listening to music and, 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 and being drunk and living through that whole ritual. That was a ritual, you know, were you, were you doing a lot of this pretty much on your own? Were there any friends and other people? Yeah. Yeah. Both, both, both. I was, I was, I was a lone drinker from the get go. And I also drank with friends. I mean, so take yeah. us to where you, I mean, the big, the big part that comes next is yeah. that you get, you get sober. What happened? Yeah. How did you so, make that, how did you get, make that transition? I had wound up down in Athens, Georgia, uh, uh, to get to a bigger cultural center than, uh, Cullowee and, 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 and so I went down to Athens, Georgia and uh and i got in trouble like i got in significant trouble the first time i had ever gotten in trouble with a cocaine charge and, and a drunk and disorderly charge and, and you know i had a few charges racked up and um and it was the first time i'd really gotten in trouble and i found myself in an orange jumpsuit which indicates a violent offender and uh you know so i was in in a pod of uh in a jail pod and cells with you know, uh, murderers, rapists, uh, armed robbers, that kind of thing. And, um, and I, and that was shocking to wake up in that environment. And I said, Oh shit, I'm in trouble for real. So, um, you know, I got, that, that gave me some open mindedness and willingness to actually consider that maybe my drinking was a damn problem. Yeah, man, that, uh, that is a, a very big wake up call. What what do you think um, after you kind of had that wake up call that you associated with your drinking? I know for me in my you know late teenage years, it was all about like I want to party, I want to be with friends, I want to see how fucked up I can get and you know make it home. You know what? Whenever you you know had the bottle, like what what were you thinking about like getting out of it? Like what was like from from the top to bottom? Because you know I kind of feel bad. I got a glass of wine here, but. You know, th- this is like the coolest thing I get to do all week is, you know, hang out and talk. But what, like, what was your kind of like goal? Was it suppression of feelings or, you know, entertainment? You know, what, what, what did you associate with, you know, kind of getting drunk? Sure. That's an interesting, great question. I don't think like that's, that's way down the rabbit hole. That's a great question. Um, so I think what I was going for so, so looking, looking back at it, it's funny, man. I feel like I was, I, I, I just, I, I couldn't comprehend b- before getting sober that I suffered from the most common garden variety human uh, 
human dysfunctions and ailments of things like inferiority complex and uh, self-doubt and self-centered fear and social anxiety. Uh, you know, I, I think, I, and that become and the reason why that I said one of the reasons why I couldn't see that is because I didn't want to be bodily and mentally different from my fellows. And, and that's one of the things that really kept me drinking longer than I needed to drink is I did not want to be alcoholic. I really didn't want that to be the diagnosis. I would have rather been crazy, you know, and have, have mental emotional problems than I would have been alcoholic. Like I'll take crazy way fucking before I'll be alcoholic, but anything but that shit. And, um, so, so you had the question you asked, what was my intention? Like before I set out on these, on these, you know, big wild and weekend episode with a bunch of buddies, I, you know, the great American adventure of fucking Jack Kerouac, man. Uh, you know, um, Mark Twain, and, uh, you know, uh, Huck and Huck and, you know, in, in a, my imagined later years with Huck and a bottle of brandy, you know, uh, and, and, you know, catching a buzz and spirit becoming imbued with the spirit, uh, you know, the, the great, the great uh, legend of this of the god of alcohol, my God, Bacchus. You know, it's 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 a it's I I it, I was hooked from the stories way before I ever drank it. Drank it. Well, hooked, hooked. Yeah, I mean, there's a like huge rush. I mean, it's adrenaline. You're you're seeing how close you can get to the edge without falling off, and you're just kind of like. You know, taking baby steps, baby steps, you know, this drink, that drink, this pill, that pill, this, you know, joint, that joint, you know, this line, that line, like, and how close can I get to the edge, you know, and just really truly live before I fall off. And one thing that you said in your post was um, kind of about like, you know, appreciating like Buddhism and that's sort of like how, how like centered can you be? So we're in sobriety. How do you find that rush, you know, that, that living on the edge now that alcohol is out of the picture? It's a different thing. It's the, the most accurate way I could describe that is it's just a different experience. Um, so here's what I found that, that, and I've had, I've had a couple of life experiences that I could not repeat or, or recreate that, that I truly consider like they were epic life experiences and, and there was alcohol and drugs involved. Um, I could not repeat these experiences, um, nor would I want to at this point in my life either. But, but essentially, essentially I see these, the, the, the alcohol and drug fueled experiences um, I don't have any regrets. It took what it took for me to get where I am, but I find that the quality and the, the quality of the experience, the quality of sober experiences is just far better. Um, the intel, the level of intelligence, the level of communication, the value of them, the emotional and spiritual value the amount of learning that happens is so far greater sober so like you know the the, the childhood experiences that i had 
you know, early on, the first time I got drunk was, I mean, I don't know. It's just, that, that's a crazy thing. The, the emphasis is entirely put in the wrong place by us as a culture. We idolize, we idolize and romanticize these, dr the drunkenness. We romanticize this shit. And, and it's for a small portion of people, I think there are these, it, there are these epic epiphany experiences that we have as humans experiencing alcohol. I think for the majority of people, and, and here's why I say the majority, this, I'm going, I'm getting heavy here. We consider the prison population of 13 million, right? If we then consider how many of these 13 million, what percentage are real criminals? So what percentage are rapists, murderers, serial killers, you know, and, and if we consider those, what percentage are they? And so if we, if we, and, and I'm just, I predict these percentages out of thin air, guesstimating my ass off. And, and I'm trying to, show, I'm going to try to over guesstimate just to prove that I'm, that I'm being reasonable and I'm not trying to prove a point. Mm -hmm. Okay. So let's say 5% of this 13 million are serial killers. I don't think it's that many. It's a way smaller number, but let's just for say for the sake of argument that it's 5%. Let's say 5% of them are murderers. I don't think that's accurate either. And let's say 5% of them are, are, are rapists. I don't think that's, I think it's a smaller number. All three of those groups of people I think are smaller numbers, but let's, and then let's add in another 5% for just, other criminal activity that we can't define. So let's say that 20% of the 13 million people are actual criminals. That means that 80% are something else. And then, so if you ask yourself, what is that percentage? What are they? And, and if you, if we go a little bit further down the rabbit hole, what we come to find out is they're all drug and alcohol related. 80% of the prison population in our country is drug and alcohol related. So it, just take that, take that information, that fact, and that knowledge, set it off on the side for a second. And then if we think about how about, the how about family dysfunction in our world, in our American culture, in our, in our society, how much of, Amer of family dysfunction is due to drugs and alcohol? And I don't know about you guys and the families that you know and, and, and the experiences that you guys have in your personal lifetime experience, but for me, Outside of my family, also a whole bunch of the family dysfunction, broken families, divorces, family tragedies, financial tragedies, all of it. Um, a whole bunch of those experiences are heavily influenced and colored by drugs and alcohol. And so it's just it's, it's, it becomes a, it becomes an overwhelming when, when I think about it in those terms, it becomes an overwhelming influencer i don't know i don't i don't know that's just that's one way i look at it well what you're saying is is very multi-layered because drugs and alcohol enters the picture as both cause and effect um it causes certain behavior but it's also the effect of certain behavior uh people not main, managing stress people not communicating with their loved ones people not having positive uh, things to entertain their time and to 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 uh, create uh, growth, personal interests, 
opportunities, work, you name it. So there's a cause and effect. There's a, uh, it kind of goes in both directions, uh, I think. And we, and we would, we would have to dial down really deep to try to figure out what percentage of your percentage that you just quoted. But the bottom, the bottom line is, is, is that a person who has any kind of addiction is going to find it hard to deal with the stresses that come with our everyday life. Anyway, life, life is hard enough when you're clear thinking. You know, I mean, it's hard enough when you have to just pay your bills, take care of your responsibilities, report to, you know, you add out drug, and, uh, you know, drug and alcohol or any kind of addiction to the mix, going to make life, it's going to make life a lot co complex. But when you told me this, when you told me this story, I mean, you said uh, something that really grabbed me. You said a friend gave you a checklist, a sobriety checklist. And I want you to, uh, if you don't mind, if you would just, because you, you even called sobriety, you called it a, a, a spiritual path. But when you when you listed this checklist, it really struck me as as both very practical, but also very very philosophical too. So sure. can can you tell us about the checklist? Sure. Where, where did you get it from? And then tell us the checklist. So my my buddy Jim Hudson, uh, he he was an attorney and uh, and he was a, a longtime sober guy. Um, he was my first sober mentor and, um, and, uh, he had a magic way of, uh, pairing complexity down to its lowest common denominator pretty quickly. Um, and, and which is a necessary tool in sobriety because when you come across, uh, different difficult emotional situations, um, essentially we have to come up with the, the answer to like, Oh, well, should I, or should I not drink over this situation? And, and you, you know, in order to stay sober, you have to keep coming up with the same answer of like, nah, I'm not going to drink over this. And so the getting down to this lowest common denominator, uh, information quickly is, it's a way of thinking. So here's the checklist is, and, and it's determining whether or not I'm actually okay is that that's the point of the checklist It's like, and, and so here's the five items. The first item is, do I have enough food to eat today? Do I have a safe place to stay tonight? Am I sober? Am I sober is really the first one. I mean, really, am I sober? That's really the first item. So am I sober? Do I have enough food to eat today? Do I have a safe place to stay tonight? Can I make significant uh, emotional, significant, sincere contact with another human being. Um, and if I can check off each one of these items, I'm actually okay regardless of what I think. Um, and that, that was an epiphany to me. Like, that, that, like, like, you, like you're saying, that, that changed, that transformed my life. That's a great checklist. Uh, Isn't that great, the Adam? I, I, the, the minute he I really told me like, that, I, was yeah. like, I cannot wait to share that one with Adam. It's, <laughs> it's crystal clear. Yeah. My favorite and, part is you don't have to think. You, you don't have to, you, if your brain could be racing, yeah. but you just have to answer the questions you can answer. Yeah. Which I think is really powerful. My, my thing in there is, is the last one is, uh, do you have someone that you can communicate with um, that's huge. I mean, I know that, you know, for me, like listening is, is such a big thing. And, you know, I, I try to respect and, and honor listening as, as much as possible. You know, 
when you were getting sober, your friend, um, you know, you, you were able to, to really talk with him and, you know, feel listened to whenever you were having a harder time, like how did it feel to like let out those emotions, however they came out and truly be listened to? Yeah, uh, that it was great. I mean, you can't top. Uh, I mean, for, for me, it's a great point you make. That's where the trust is, is in the empathy, right? If, if I feel that somebody understands and is empathetic to my experience, then I'm willing to reveal. Uh, if I think that somebody, if I feel like I'm being judged or something like that, then that, you know, that, that I'm, I'm no longer being willing, willing to reveal. Um, so yeah, that was a, that was, uh, that was an important thing. And, and, and so, you know, uh, this sober experience and this sober, this, the basis of this sober friendship was a new thing to me. Um, it was uh, maybe the first, uh, in my life, you know, or one of the first, you know, one of the first that I was aware of. I had a couple, I, I had a good mentor and, and my dad was great too, you know, uh, I mean, I had some good relationships going, going until I was 16, that, that whole year that I was 16, I mean, it just, it just, it shook my snow globe so hard that I, I, um, and then I spent, you know, those 10 years that I drank, um, those 10 years that I drank, uh, were, I, I had that, 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 that year that I turned 16, scrambled my snow globe, shook my snow globe real hard. And then I, I further, I further warped my own mind with drugs and alcohol, you know, it compounded the problem. So when I came across an empathetic, uh, intelligent, empathetic uh, communication with another p- p- person, it was an epiphany. I just that that's such a good one just to to linger there because truly having an epiphany of of feeling listened to and feeling heard and being understood. I mean that's kind of what the whole show is about. And you know from that one situation, I mean, and continuing to do it like that gets you more in touch with your own vulnerability and your own sense of self. And it seems like the the post that we originally got referenced to is saying like, hey you know, stop, take a look and, and see how is your sense of self? How, how is, you know, your relation to this outside world really affecting your decisions and actions right now? So just to kind of bring this full circle, could you kind of tell us like, what, what you like, are you really trying to say? Like, stop, pause, here's, here's what to actually think. Right, right. Gosh. Uh, yeah, no, I, I hear you. You know, um, there's no shortcuts, you know, there's just nothing to be got. There's no, there's nothing to get away with really. Um, and, and I think, um, I, I really don't, I, I don't claim to have any answers whatsoever, uh, or, or even expertise. Um, uh, everything, every good, I, I would say this, all the good ideas that I've got have been given to me by other people. Um, and, uh, and, and this world of sobriety has been absolutely invaluable. I, there's no way that I would exist 
in the manner that I do without that. Um, that being said, I, I am absolutely not one of these guys who thinks that everybody needs, needs to get sober at all. I mean, at all. I'm not one of those guys. I'm, I, I'm around a lot of drinking, as you can imagine, you know, being a full-time troubadour. I, I, I mean, I live in the clubs, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, and I'm around it. Not, you know, I'm, I'm the only sober guy in my band most of the time. Um, rest of my band drinks, that, but, but I've never seen not one time. I don't think I've ever seen any of my guys in my band drink this functionally, not once ever. Um, I'm lucky and fortunate that way, you know, that, 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 that's a very important, uh, I, I don't know. I'm, uh, I, I have very, I don't try to control or regulate that aspect of my life. I pick players based on their playing, not based on their fucking lifestyle, you know? And luckily in the, in my life, the guys that I pick, they're there to pick. They're not there for the party after they're not there for the after party. They're there to fucking pick on, you know, they're there to make music. And so I'm lucky in that respect. Um, you asked me, I'm trying to get back around to the question you asked me. So what am I really trying to say? Uh, God, I don't know. You know, have an open mindedness and a willingness to be wrong. Like, that's one of the biggest things that's made me maybe the biggest thing that happened in my life getting sober is that I got, it, it became okay for me to be completely damn wrong about basically any and all of it. You know, it, it was no longer, I no longer had this big war that I was, I was fighting to be right. I don't know. Something I, like that. Maybe I would love to take what you just said and, and, and magnify it onto a, a, a big social canvas because I think that's kind of collectively where we're at uh, as a society right now in America. It is very much um, your description of where you were at, your journey, what the key issues were. Um, they seem to be a very much uh, uh, a representation of where we are as a culture. First of all, your friend dialing you down uh, the, taking this complexity and making it simple. Well, that's where we're at as a society. We, we look at charts and graphs and, and numbers and figures and statistics and all this stuff. And we forget the basics like, do you treat other people with kindness and generosity and compassion? Uh, and there's a reason why we get caught up in the complexity. I think the people who benefit by the complexity want you to be caught up in the complexity and the, and the bullshit. So I think that's why I loved your, your checklist so much. I would love, I think America needs a checklist. I think the entire country needs a checklist to say, what are the things, guess what? We can sort this out. What are our principles? Everyone matters. Everyone matters. All of us need to be prepared to be wrong. I mean, let's make a very short checklist. So maybe, maybe we could work together uh, uh, offline when we're, when we're done chatting today and put together that group checklist because if it's, if it's manageable in your life um, and, and you've been through a lot of stuff here that you've shared with us, I do think collectively we can get back onto a healthier track. And I'm hoping it seems like your music is, is, is a way out. Uh, I, I'm a firm believer that art is the way that we get out of almost every problem that seems insolvable. Uh, that's why I love and listen to music I'm wondering, is are you taking more of your life experience and some of the things that you shared with Adam and I today? Is that finding its way more into your songs? I think so. Uh, I think so. You know, I, I've got 
uh, for lack of a better way to describe it. Uh, so my prayer, uh, my prayer regarding my, regarding being the steward of my whatever talent or, or vehicle it is that I am musically and as a songwriter and stuff like that, my, um, uh, uh, God, please, please let me be a vehicle of songs, uh, that inspire people and express your power and love. God, please let me sing, sing well enough. God, please let me sing strong enough and play well enough, uh, to, to present these songs to the public. Um, and that's basically my prayer about concerning my, you know, being the steward of my, what the, the player and songwriter and singer that I am. Um, uh, God, please let me be a vehicle of songs that inspire people, express your power and love. And please let me sing well enough, sing strong enough and play well enough to, to present these songs to the public. Um, so from there, what I've been finding is that, yes, uh, absolutely. These things, the vulnerability, I think you, you guys are really on to something, you know, the courage to be vulnerable and allow yourself. I'm still learning. I, 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 there's some, there's some places where I have not learned yet how to protect myself and I've, and I've gotten my ass chewed up out here, you know, in the, in recent years, um, emotionally, you know, and, um, and, but, but, but I, but it's worth, it's been worth it. That's I'm also saying this, I'm see, I'm here to say this, my, even my the mistakes that I've made in the past recent years, uh, by, I've been attempting to be vulnerable, but I've been, you know, I, I've still had people pleasing as part of the, you know, as a little bit of a, uh, a, a wrong maneuver I was making along the way. And that got my ass burned a little bit here and there, you know? Um, and, but I kept being willing to be vulnerable. I kept choosing like, ultimately like, Look, love is lo God, love, Buddha, whatever you want to call it, love. I kept relentlessly choosing that. I kept relentlessly choosing love as my answer above intelligence, above discipline, above uh, rigor, above control, you know, above any of those other ideals. I'm choosing love, compassion, empathy as the highest, as the highest form. I mean, the St. Francis prayer asks that we understand, not be understood, you know? So the job ain't for the rest of the world to understand me. I got to become empathetic and understand the rest of the world. You know, that's what the prayer asks of me to do. Dang, man, that's, that's beautiful. Um, being, being understood feels some type of way and understanding other people really just connects you. And I, I kind of want to go back to what you said about the war of me being right. Um, Cause that actually gave me a little peek into to my head um, about this last week. You know, I had a, you know, running with a, a manager at work and, you know, I was, I was upset, you know, I felt misunderstood and everything like this. So hmm. I went home and I wrote this, 
six page long letter <laughs> and you know i i sent it to to my two good friends and i was like hey man check my grammar check my <laughs> and i was like make sure i'm doing this right because i, I really just want to yeah. give it i really just want to give it back and yeah you know that they were like yeah man like you're right in this situation but are you going to win anything out of this like is that like what's what's the outcome and you know as it turns out i really i didn't need to to yell at someone i just needed to feel understood and you know just have two of my good friends like look at me and just see that you know hey man like you're you're so you're really upset you bring up some good points but like how is this going to affect everything else and you know when you said the war of me being right that was just like my mind just got blown and i was like I just went through that in the last week and <laughs> like, that's, that's a whole new thing that I just learned just from talking to you. It's just like, what's in my head and, and, and what, what battles are worth fighting and participating in, in the war to be right. And that's huge, man. So thank you. You said, you know, I'm, I'm not an expert. She's no expert, but Hey man, your own life experience has helped me just by one conversation. So I want to say thank you on that note. Cause that, that puts some perfect, that put some perspective in my life. So that's huge for me, man. And, and thank you. No, I love, uh, Boo, that your mixture of self-knowledge uh, with uh, knowing that you're a flawed human being is a beautiful combination. Um, I think that that is something that we could all strive for. We all really need to have a certain base level of confidence. We need to believe in ourselves. We need to, to think that we're special and all those wonderful things. But we also need to be uh, aware that we have a lot to learn and a lot, and a lot of, of room for growth. And, and other people there are not, to, are not just competition and not yeah. uh, to be stepped over and to be circumvented or conquered. Uh, yeah. They're there to teach us. Right. And, and you've reminded us uh, that that learning about others is is just as important as being understood ourselves and being being uh, appreciated by others as well. Um, I, I just really want to go back and listen to the last ten or fifteen minutes of the things that you said because you know if, if we were better interviewers, we might have gotten there even faster. But it was so rewarding to get to that place because I I felt it in our first conversation. Uh, uh, the other day and, and today just just made me want to just know you more and spend more time with you and, and be, a, be a buddy of yours. Just want to hang with you and enjoy Same. Your, your spirit. Um, and I'm really glad you met, you, you're, you know, you and Adam. Yeah, I'm so tickled to hang with yeah, Adam. When Adam's I, cool as hell. hell yeah, told, I'm, I'm, what a great show. I dig what you all are doing a bunch. It's really, well, really cool. Well, we're, we're thrilled that you joined us. Uh, I was you know, thinking, you know, maybe it would just be awesome if possibly you would end doing a little music for us, but I'm just thinking you're there with your, your earbuds hanging down from your, from your air. Uh, maybe that's just not very practical. Maybe, maybe, uh, I don't know. Is it practical or not? So you practical? call it, man. I mean, you call How it. Are you, I, I mean, are you feeling anything I, that you would, uh, yeah, communicate I, 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 could do a, I could do a version of course. Is that okay? Me, yeah. Yeah. No, let me, let me grab a guitar. Um, <laughs> let me grab a guitar. Yeah, let's quick. do it. Why not? Um, Sure. We've I'll not had any it. live music on the show yet. Yeah. 
How's that sound? Hang out left on White Creek Ridge, stay on 33. There's a shack, grab a shack by the railroad tracks and a big old sycamore tree. A big old sycamore tree. The scars on the limb where the rope had been and the old tire used to swing. In that shade, I had my first taste of love in 17. Lord, I was just a 17. In another life with a Boy Scout knife, made a pleasure in a bar. A lasting monument to you and me. We both swore forever as I call. Four letters in a heart. 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 I come back every now and then to pay a visit to my past. My fingers trace the marks I made for love that did not last. A young love that did not last. It's easy for a young man to promise love when he don't know what it costs. It's yet to face the cold hard day. He's gonna learn about loss. And Lord, I learned about loss. In another life with a Boy Scout knife, I made a pleasure in bark. A lasting monument to you and me. We both swore forever as I car. Four letters in a heart. 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 Edit in the round of applause. The arena goes wild. <laughs> but probably the first uh, live music I have seen in quite a bit. So thank you for, for sharing yeah, that. Man. That's, yeah. That's really cool. Cool. The guitar sound all right coming through the earbud phones? Oh, yeah. I, okay, I'm cool. excited. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cool. put that on a separate track. I'm going to hit cool. it with some nice reverb and some tape saturation. Perfect. It's going to be Perfect. cool. Awesome. 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 <laughs> cool. Yeah, I'm excited. I, I mean, my buddy Matt like makes music and stuff and like I just I'm just trying to get my hands on something to to be creative. So I love mixing his music and I love awesome. his working on yeah, it. Yeah. Dude, I found out on engineers. It, good engineers are worth their weight in gold. <laughs> I mean straight up, for real. For real, for real. Yeah, man. Well, hey, you, you shared quite a bit on this show today. You gave us your music, you gave us your heart, and you gave us your thoughts, man. Is there anything else that you want to end on today? Oh man, uh, you know, uh, thank you guys so much for having me and, and, and taking an interest in what I'm doing. That means a ton to me. I, I mean it. Uh, thank you kindly for, 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 uh, you know, uh, coming across me and, and, and taking the time to see what I was actually up to. Um, that, that means a ton. Uh, and, and I'm, 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 I'm a fan and I appreciate what you all are doing also. Um, so, you know, uh, um, I, uh, 
I don't think I have any particular axe to grind. You know, I, I, I just, uh, I, I'm like you guys. I, I think, um, I think that, uh, I think that what you guys are doing in this subject matter is of incredible importance right now to, uh, to create an environment where communication can begin, you know, and, and, and and healing can begin happening and all that stuff you know we as a society we're so emotionally mangled right now it's just it's 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 difficult and it's traumatic and it's it's, and it's a shame and it's painful and it's all that shit and 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 so you guys i consider to be you know front edge you guys nucci space david's den there's some, you know, some, there's some mental health kind of, uh, altruistic and, and movements and, and groups, small groups of people that are doing, and I consider you to be part of that nucleus with what you guys are doing here. Um, we did, I, you know, maybe can we, uh, can we do another, uh, thing sometime? We didn't even get talking about boots and denim and I mean, <laughs> yeah. you know, I got an H bar C shirt line. Like like H bar C the ranch wear like I, we we've we've got a I've got a H bar C shirt line and and I'm I'm an I'm an Olathe boot company endorser, um and I got you know I got a, there's a couple clothiers here in Nashville that make all my troubadour suits and stuff so I'd love to talk talk bespoke uh, bespoke footwear and uh, well, we could talk about that but we could also have you uh, make make a guest appearance on on some of our Instagram feeds and get you uh, out there into the Denman boots sure. world that we reach with Absolutely. our with our feeds I, i'm sure. I'm, de- I'm definitely going to do a profile about that but uh you're definitely welcome to come back and we could talk whatever. about whatever yeah, it is I'm, you want to talk yeah. about no i mean, I, I do remember you you had a pair of really cool new boots and it looked they were a pretty substantial pair of boots and i was like yeah, yeah if those yeah, were a gift you, this dude's just gotten hooked up big time <laughs> that that company's been taking care of me for for since 2010 they send me boots uh, on the regular so every year since 2010 uh, they're they're interesting. They're a South Texas company, and so everything's handmade. Um, and then H Bar C, uh, they were the like H Bar C, the uh, you know John Travolta in Saturday Night Fever. That's a H Bar C shirt. Um, and um, they're they're a famous '70s Western wear brand. And a buddy, uh, and it turns out this guy they went defunct, and then a buddy, uh, a guy bought them rebought bought that company is revitalizing the brand there was i did a christmas gift guide article in a the manual guide uh the manual guide is like a men's health magazine i like a few years ago i did this article and i and at some point in the article i said yeah and get your sweetheart a, a vintage h bar c-shirt um and uh you know i told the story about my granddad's been giving me h bar c-shirts since i turned 15 years old I said, I got a damn closet full of them. It's my favorite thing that I own. And that H-Bar-C called me the week that that damn article came out. H-Bar-C called me and said, hey, we read your story about your granddad and H-Bar-C shirts. Said, we love your story. Said, send us your three favorite shirts that your granddad gave you, and we'll build tributes to them and uh, and put them on the market. And I, I literally got two shirt, two Blu-ray shirts on the damn market. <laughs> it's so oh, much man. fun. That's yeah. so cool. It's totally fun. That's really cool. We, well, I'm going to have to do some Googling. I'm going to have to look at some images. Yeah. yeah. 
Adam, next time we come on and tape something, you'll probably see me in one of those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll get, I'll, get I'll get you. I'll get you one. The, the, the blue chamber. I'll get you. I'll get you awesome shirt. Yeah. Oh, man, that's so cool. cool. Yeah. So, Adam, you'll have you'll have a little editing work to do. Uh, yeah, uh, I'm excited, we, though. It's going to be covered, fun. We've covered a lot of stuff. We've thrown in some music. And, uh, dude, uh, Boo, thank you. Yeah. Thank you, man. Thank you so much, Albert. A Adam, thank you a ton. I totally enjoyed this hang with you guys. Oh, we're going to do it again for sure. Yeah. And we could also just do it for fun, too. That's a Yeah, I mean, I know you guys are cool. You guys are way cool. I, I, count, me in for, <laughs> count me in for a group phone call if we got something to hash out. And, you know, think, think tank about. If, if we got some shit that we need to think tank about, count me in, man. Hey, you're always welcome, Boo. So this has been another episode of the Veer Vulnerabilis Beer Podcast. I'm Adam Glinsky. I'm Albert Imperato. I'm Boo Ray. Thank you for listening.